231 Full Court Press And you are completely out of bounds Sadly, yes And maybe just plain out of luck, too I really believe this is a very sad day for America This should never happen If you challenge an election You should be able to challenge an election Yes, hello, friends, and uh, welcome in to this, the 231st edition of Fusebox. I'm your counting indictments as a get-to-sleep technique host, Mark Rose. And over there, reclining in the Barco lounger of destiny, is the grand arbiter of amplitude, Milt Keynes, everybody. Yeah, yeah, thank you kindly. (laughs) Now... We said we weren't going to deal with that orange moron until he gets the royal slam, right? Nah, yeah, and we're not. We're not. We're not. I, I just I just found the amount of, uh, of court cases pressing in on him at present a, a bit rewarding. So uh, I couldn't resist that. <laughs> yeah, Roger that. <laughs> going to be a busy year for the orange guy. He's clearly going to spend more time in the courtroom than on the campaign trail. Kind of what they had in mind, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but as I say, uh, we shall not dwell in the house of the orange bloatus. We have more entertaining things to deal with. Uh, like this, for instance. As uh, some may recall, uh, a few weeks back on the uh, OnSug channel, that's the Overnightscape Underground, which can be found at onsug.com, I uh, teamed up with a colleague, Brett Berman, to do an episode of his program called The Appreciator, where we were waxing on and on with a side of on about the musical wizard known as Frank Zappa. Yeah, you surely did. (laughs) Yes, yes, we did. (laughs) And on that show, I mentioned that wouldn't it be grand if we could do a similar thing with each of his albums you know, chat about uh, impressions, give a little background on them, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it was also mentioned that the two of you would be quite dead before you got through all of Zappa's albums. <laughs> yes, yes, you are correct. That's why it was suggested to uh, limit our discourse to the canon of releases that are uh, regarded as you know, the, the main arcana, as Brett has said, and uh, do them probably two at a time. Uh, probably smart. Well, friends. The first installment of said retrospective is now live, and uh, you can check it out at the uh, link provided in the show description. So you tackled Freak Out and Absolutely Free. We did, in fact, do that very thing, and uh, it was great fun. Uh, So much, in fact, that uh, we're doing the next installment on Lumpy Gravy, and we're only in it for the money. Wow. Yes, sir. Doesn't Lumpy Gravy have, like, only two songs on it? <laughs> well, it appears like that. But actually, it's a suite on both, uh, quote, sides, uh, compri- comprised of multiple parts, really. So, uh, friends, uh, check out our first uh, installment and be ready, because we're taking this thing on. Have you left a will? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. It's all going to Eco and Milo. <laughs> <laughs> When we return, friends, 
a look at some more fabulous advancement in AI. Inventions that killed their creators, and souls being destroyed in the sunshine state from a children's book. Huh? You betcha. So uh, sit tight and be ready to be uh, informed. Stay with us, weren't they? Oh, I wouldn't say that. You know, it's no secret, I'm a big fan of the Grindhouse period of cinematic history, and nothing covers these times and events better than Grindhouse Resurrection magazine. For one thing, the folks who write for it have first-hand experience with what they're writing about. They were actually there, maybe even created some of the films we're talking about. Like in issue number two, a rather scathing and wonderfully insightful article on the BS on Blu-ray. Not everything on that format should be. And in an article by Richard Tater, he outlines a few of the direct-to-video films that probably didn't warrant the restoration, or for that matter, the hefty price tag. I'd call that a public service. So will you. Pick up a copy of Grindhouse Resurrection magazine. Info on ordering your copy is in the show description. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Because the news no longer matters. TheFuseBoxShow.com Alrighty then, back to the wondrous world of AI innovations. And another Hot Wire of Science update. The Hot Wire of Science! Well, since this uh, announcement of uh, a while back of uh, rather deep investments and uh, collaborations with chat GPT maker OpenAI in uh, January and the emergence of Bing Chat the month after, Microsoft has been experimenting with integrating AI-generated content into its online publications and services, such as... Uh, adding AI-generated stories to Bing search and including uh, AI-generated app review summaries on the Microsoft Store. Uh, Microsoft Travel appears to be another production use of generative AI technology. Is it inventing facts for those things, too? <laughs> well, Mr. Kane, you put your reposable thumb right on the issue. You see, late last week... MSN.com's Microsoft Travel section posted an AI-generated article about the, quote, cannot miss attractions of Ottawa, Canada that includes the Ottawa Food Bank. What? <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. This is a real charitable organization that feeds struggling families. In this recommendation text... Microsoft's AI model wrote, quote, consider going into it on an empty stomach. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. But I mean... <laughs> yeah. I, I, and, and by the way, it's the number three destination on the list, Mr. Gaines. <laughs> 
So that last line is, is an example of the kind of thing you'll almost always find in AI-generated writing, right? Uh, it just, it's, it's inserted rather thoughtlessly because the AI model behind this article doesn't understand the context of what it's doing. Awesome. Yeah. And then this thing was first noticed by tech author Paris Marks on uh, Blue Sky. The post on the Ottawa Food Bank began to gain uh, sizable traction on social media soon thereafter. And uh, in response to Marx's post, frequent LLM critic uh, Emily Bender noted, quote, I can't find anything on that page that marks it overtly as AI-generated. Seems like a major failing on two of their responsible AI principles. No one fully reviewed its content before publication either. Which, of course, means that Microsoft is publishing AI-generated content on the Internet with little to no oversight. I don't know, bro. I think that deserves a stark fist of removal. You know what? I firmly second that opportunity. Oh, but wait. That's not all. This bit of brilliance reported uh, from CNN. It would appear that Snapchat users were alarmed the other night when the platform's artificial intelligence chatbot posted a live update to its profile and stopped responding to messages. <laughs> the Snapchat My AI feature, which is uh, powered by the viral AI chatbot tool ChatGPT, typically offers recommendations, answers questions, and converses with users. But posting a live story, a, a, a short video of what appeared to be a wall for all Snapchat users to see, was a new one. It's a capability typically reserved for only its human users. Uh, <laughs> the app's fans were quick to share their concerns on social media. Quoting one Concerned user, why does my AI have a video of the wall and ceiling in their house as their story? Wrote one user. <laughs> Another one said, this is very weird and honestly unsettling. Another user wrote, after the tool ignored his messages, even a robot ain't got time for me. <laughs> Turns out, this wasn't Snapchat working to make its My AI tool even more realistic. The company told CNN it was a glitch. Uh, quoting, My AI experienced a temporary outage uh, that's now resolved, uh, a spokesperson said. Yeah, now it's just the inside of a toilet bowl <laughs> with 11 fingers on the bowl. <laughs> exactly. Or maybe... Just like that 40-second blank stare we get repeatedly now from Mitch McConnell. You know. Too soon? Overdue, I think. Yeah. Since launching in April, the tool has faced backlash not only from uh, parents, but from uh, some Snapchat users with criticisms over privacy concerns. Quote, creepy exchanges and an inability to remove the feature from their chat feed unless... Here it comes. They pay for a premium subscription. Oh, I get it. You're being extorted. So it would seem, Mr. Keynes. And as we know, because we've discussed the hell out of this, not a new tactic. 
Quoting from CNN again, unlike some other AI tools, Snapchat's version has some key differences. Users can customize the chatbot's name, design a custom Bitmoji avatar for it, bring it into conversations with friends, and uh, the net effect is that uh, conversing with Snapchat's chatbot may feel less transactional than visiting ChatGPT's website. It it may also be uh, less clear that you're talking to a computer. While uh, some may find value in the tool, the uh, mixed reaction hinted at the challenges companies face in rolling out new generative AI technology to their products, and particularly in products like Snapchat, whose users skew a wee younger. So, have you heard about these, uh, quote, changes to our user agreement messages that uh, software design folks are getting from some resellers? Uh, no. Uh, no. What's up? Well, it, it basically says that because they, the uh, resellers, are starting to implement AI tools in a variety of their operations, that the uh, designers have to approve this if some of their products or services become part of the AI at some point in the future. What? You mean, like, I'm sorry if you've been working on product development for 30 years or so, but uh, but now our AI owns all of that? Thanks? Yeah. Oh, that's ridiculous. Oh, and it's going to get more and more stupid as we go, bro. Wow. Well, we got to do a little deeper dive into that, but... Uh... Hang on to your stuff, friends. It's coming for all of us next. Well, keeping with the innovation theme, we bring you the first in an assuredly endless stream of... Television is most certainly here to stay. Great moments in invention history. 1985. Czech inventor and professional stuntman Karl Suchek develops a shock-absorbent barrel designed for drops off of high buildings and waterfalls. He decides to test it by climbing in and rolling off the top of the Houston Astrodome and plunging into a water tank 700 feet below. As he ascends to the top of the Houston Astrodome, Suchek waves to the crowds Climbing in the barrel now. And uh, we're waiting for his assistant to uh, pull the release. And there it is. Down he goes. Suchik is falling. Thank God, protected by his invention. A shock absorbent material. Oh my. Oh dear God. He, uh, he missed the water. Oh, the humanity, he, he, the, the rim, he hit the, the rim. Uh, oh, I just, I'm, this, oh, it's, oh, it's, I can't, I, 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 I can't, I really can't. Great moments in invention history. Yes, indeed, friends. Sometimes ideas are so much better on paper. All right. 
There is a fiendish thing, a dastardly devilish deal, and it's all going on down there, in that area down there. <laughs> yes, friends, once again, the precious bodily fluids of our cherished youth are being threatened from the deepest, darkest, dankest pits of hell, reaching up with its tentacles of damnation and masquerading as a harmless children's book. Say it ain't so. Oh, this, this is nefarious. Uh, this one comes from us courtesy of The Guardian. Oh, a heathen publication. <laughs> a title in the Arthur children's book series is facing a potential ban after a conservative activist claimed that it, quote, damaged souls. On July 12th, Bruce Friedman, a member of the Clay County School District community in Florida, filed a challenge to Arthur's Birthday, a 1989 children's book by Mark Brown about a fictional brown aardvark. Hey, now, don't be messing with aardvarks now. Yes, they have some nerve. No, so this fictional brown aardvark whose uh, birthday falls on the same day as another party of a different classmate. At one point in the book, Arthur receives a glass bottle from Francine the monkey as a birthday present. The bottle has the words, Francine's Spin the Bottle Game printed on it. According to the challenge, which the Daily Beast website reported, the reason for Friedman's ban request is to, quote, protect children. Quoting here, It is not appropriate to discuss spin the bottle with elementary school children, he wrote in all capital letters. This book is found in all, or almost all, district schools. Spin the bottle... Not okay for K-5 kids, Friedman added, uh, still using all capital letters. In response to a question about uh, what he believes might be the result of a student using the material, he wrote, damaged souls. Oh, is that all? Well, not to worry, pal. You're doing enough soul damage with idiotic ban requests like this for everybody. In a uh, statement to the Daily Beast, a district spokesperson, Terry Dennis, said the book was among 45 titles currently, quote, pending oversight committee review. Friedman is the Florida chapter president of No Left Turn in Education, right-wing group that campaigns against, <laughs> what else, critical race theory. The group seeks to use all forms of media to expose the radical indoctrination in K-12 education, its perpetrators, the resources and methods employed, and the resulting harm it inflicts, according to its website. In a Facebook post in September 2020, the group compared public schools to Pol Pot's Cambodia, referring to the former leader of Cambodia, who uh, perpetrated the mass genocide of over two million people. Yeah, well, I bet there might be one or two Cambodian folks who'd like to take issue with that comparison. Clearly. Last December, Friedman said that uh, he had compiled a, quote, 
list of over 3,600 titles that I believe have concerning content, including porn, critical race theory, social emotional learning, and fluid gender. He continued that he identified the titles by, quote, scouring the internet for books that have been challenged in other parts of the country. Yeah, like that lecherous Winnie the Pooh. And that, that equally profane Peter Pan. The, the Florida Freedom to Read project has, of course, naturally pushed back, logically, against Friedman's challenge to Arthur's birthday, saying this entire book is about being inclusive of all friends and not only inviting boys or girls based on your gender to your birthday party. Oh, well, well there's your problem right there. Being inclusive. Hell, everybody down there in that stinking swamp hole knows it's about being white and right. <laughs> well then, Mr. Keynes, you know what? We have a grand solution for this and other problems that the state of Florida seems to be burdened with. And this one comes right from Mother Nature herself, and I think offers a terrific remedy. This, coming from Wired magazine in an article by Max G. Levy, he writes, While driving in the swampland some 40 miles west of Miami, Mike Kirkland noticed a log lying in the road ahead. So he and his colleague stepped out of their white GMC work truck and uh, discovered this was no log. As we got closer, we realized it was a python, he says. It was so big, it looked like a fallen tree. Kirkland asked the colleague to hang back, then crept to within five feet of the predator as it basked on the warm pavement. <laughs> yep, they do that. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. She saw me, he says. I'm 5'11", and she picked herself up and practically looked me in the eye. The snake's sheer size gave him pause, but not for long, because she stretched open her mouth, revealing dozens of curved teeth as sharp as daggers, then launched her head at Kirkland. He dodged a couple of strikes before spotting an opening to grab the snake's head. The non-venomous, 17-foot constrictor then tried to wrap herself around the sweating Kirkland, who slipped through coil after coil. About 20 minutes later, the exhausted snake gave in, and Kirkland euthanized the animal. Holy car. Yes, <laughs> and this is all in a day's work for Kirkland an invasive animal biologist who manages the South Florida Water Management District's Python Elimination Program. This is a thing, okay? His team uh, patrols roads like this one beside uh, Big Cypress National Preserve looking for Burmese pythons, one of the world's most unyielding invasive species. The team, <laughs> this is, are you sitting down? Uh. Yeah, I think so. The, the team recently removed their 8,000th python. 8,000? Yes, sir. Well, they breed like rabbits, Mr. Keynes. Uh, earlier this year, the USGS scientists synthesized 
decades of research on python biology and potential control tools. And they uh, described 76 prey species found in the guts of pythons. And these were like mammals, birds, iguanas, and even alligators. Melissa Miller, invasion ecologist with the University of Florida, says, our native wildlife is not used to a large snake predator of that size. Something that large is not really on their radar. Ecologists often describe an invasive predator's prey as naive since they haven't co-evolved with the thing now that might just eat them. And that, of course, has uh, created a problem. Around 2010, soon after meeting the, this big new predator that could uh, outcompete and probably eat them, South Florida's mammal populations collapsed. Large and medium-sized mammals have been uh, scarce now for almost a decade, leaving mostly smaller mammals like rodents. The only resistant species <laughs> has turned out to be black rats. Uh, but they're also invasive, of course. Black rats arrived in the Americas from Europe centuries ago aboard the ships of uh, explorers and colonizers. And, and they're resistant because they reproduce a lot and don't compete with the pythons or uh, large mammals for food. They can scavenge carcasses and uh, eat plants, insects, and scraps from humans. This is the reason they uh, thrive all over the world. <laughs> oh, man, come to Florida, home of leprosy, bubonic plague, and sunny beaches with flesh-eating bacteria. It's a Chamber of Commerce's wet dream. You know what I'm saying? You know, I wonder how pythons feel about governors. Good point, Mr. Kate. Well, it's why we probe our souls for the answer to the time-encrusted question. What the fuck, Florida? <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Pollard. <laughs> and with that toothy summation, we shall call it a show, but not before thanking our contributors to uh, this edition of Fusebox, Nico Lane, Eric Newsom, and Gregory Wilson for outstandingly athletic audio embellishments. Thanks to Grindhouse Resurrection Magazine for being the voice of all things, well, Grindhouse. And again, uh, to pick up a copy, just hit the link provided in the show description there to learn what all the ballyhoo is all about. And uh, you'll learn what that term actually means, too. Thanks as well to the interactive man of mystery, the deacon of decibels, Milk Canes, for uh, technical assistance, so forth and so on over there. Pleasure as always. And uh, folks, we'd really dig the hell out of you and send you some free stuff as well. If you went on over there to our Patreon page and became a member. Yes, indeed we would. And and for less than what you probably spend in a month for uh, swizzle sticks and those little fancy umbrellas. You can support this show for an entire year. And come on, Kinkajou Kibble ain't cheap. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Fusebox Show. And we'd be ever so grateful. We would indeed. Uh, thanks for pushing play on this one, friends. Back uh, next time for more fun and uh, frivolity, we assure you. I have been your encased in polyester resin for a greater 
luster. Host, Mark Rose, saying, until our next cartoon. Fuse Box.